Amen. Please be seated. Good morning, Ocean View. Good to be with us each this morning. Um, so we got to go with something from Grandpa's basement, some of the memories. And uh, this morning we have a tallet. Now you would maybe recognize this as a Jewish prayer shawl. And that is what it is. Uh, I got it from a friend. Um, he, down in Souk, uh, when he passed away, his wife gave me her husband's prayer toilet. They, they made a number of trips to Jerusalem, and they actually bought um, prayer shawls in Jerusalem. So this comes from Jerusalem, and you would, you would wear it like this uh, when you go to synagogue, and you would pray. So in the Jewish traditions, uh, originally the men would wear the prayer toilet, uh, but now today uh, many women also will wear prayer toilet. Now, what's interesting about it is the cloth is really not very important. What is important are the tassels. You wear the, the cloth in order to have the tassels. And they're called a tzitzit. And you can see it on the screen there, tzitzit. Uh, strange little word, but it's uh, full of meaning. Uh, Numbers 15 says, make tassels on the corner of your garments so you will remember the commands of the Lord. Well, uh, the uh, five books of Moses were the commands of the Lord, right? Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The tzitzit were on the corners of their garments so that they would remember the uh, mitzvah. And the mitzvah is the commandment. So there are 613 mitzvah, uh, 613 commandments, and this somehow is supposed to help you remember that. Not quite sure, so let's go into it. Four-cornered garments aren't used that much anymore, and so what they did as, uh, over the years, they had a piece of cloth, square cloth, that they would wear the, the teat seat so that it would be on the four corners. Now, some, of the, some Jewish men will wear the talat katan, which is the little talat. He's, this uh, picture has the guy wearing it, and he would wear it all day long, so usually underneath another shirt. Sometimes in, in photos of people in Jerusalem, you see these little strings hanging out. That's a tzitzit, and he's wearing a talit katan. This is called the talit gadol, the big talit, the prayer talit that you would wear uh, when you pray, when you went to synagogue, and every time you pray, you would put it over your head. Now, there is some modern applications you might see in Jewish or Israeli circles uh, on your jeans. Uh, some of the young people will wear talit on, or tzitzit on their jeans, and they have four of them. Uh, little kids going to school, if they're from a very orthodox family, they will actually have tzitzit on their jeans, and it will remind them of the commands of the Lord. So let me tell you how it reminds you of the, talit, the commands of the Lord. Hebrew alphabet. Remember Psalm 119? Why is Psalm 119 so long? 180-some verses. Well, it's because Psalm 119, eight verses, they're divided in eight verses. If you look in your Bibles, you will actually see the Hebrew letters. So there are 22 chapters, eight verses each. Each of those verses starts with a, that. So Aleph, all the verses start with Aleph. Bet, all the start with Bet. So there's your Hebrew alphabet. Now, Hebrew does not have numbers. They only have letters. There were no numbers in Hebrew. So what they did is each letter is also a number. So Aleph, the 
sound, sound is, a, is one. Bet, b, is two. And so every word is also a number. So the number of tzitzit, there it is written in Hebrew, tzitzit, that the tzadi, yod, tzadi, yod, tov, that actually adds up to 600. And if you take 600, add eight strings and five knots, that's 613. How many mitzvot are there? How many commandments are there in the, in the, in the Torah? 613. So every time you have your, your tzitzit on, you remember 613 mitzvot. Well, there's more. If you look at the way they're tied, they're tied in a very unique way. There are five knots, which reminds you of the five books of the Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. There are four spaces that remind you of the tetragrammaton, the letters of the name of God. Yod, He, Vav, He, four. And so that tells you about God. Now, they're wound differently. There are seven, eight, eleven, and thirteen. Strange numbers. Well, if you add seven, eight, and eleven up, it adds to twenty-six. Yahweh, the Tetragrammaton's number is 26. 13 is the number of Echad. So it says, Adonai Echad, the Lord is one, which comes from the Shema. And the Shema says, Shema Israel, Adonai Elohenu, Adonai Echad. It's the next slide. There it is. Now this is the centerpiece of morning and evening prayer services. It encapsulates the monotheistic essence of Judaism. It's Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, Yahweh, is our God. Yahweh is one. Adonai Echad. Every, um, in Judea, during Jesus' day, the messianic hope is strong. People are hoping and they're knowing because of Daniel. They know Messiah is soon to come. And so, in Jesus' day, uh, Jesus, uh, Matthew tells us, Matthew 23, verse 5, he says, he's talking about the Pharisees, everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. You know why they did the tassels on their garments long? Because the belief was, if someone were to touch the tassels of Messiah, they would be healed. And so the Pharisees went around with long tassels saying, maybe I am Messiah. But who touched the tassels on someone's cloak and was healed? Matthew 9.20 Then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind Jesus and touched the edge or the tassels of his cloak. She said to herself, if only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her, take heart, daughter, he said, your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. Matthew goes on to tell us in chapter 14, people brought all their sick to Jesus and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak, or the crespida, which is tassels, and all who touched it were healed. The talit and prayer, the prayer shawl. What happens when you pray. This morning, that's what we want to talk about in Elijah. Elijah and prayer. What happens when you pray? We're in week number three of our short mini-series on Elijah. 
and we're talking about prayer. Now, we have been praying. We prayed a few weeks ago for uh, Fernando and his family that were in the jungles of Brazil, uh, that they would be coming back, that they wouldn't get caught in COVID and all that stuff, and they're here. So God answered prayer. Uh, we prayed for Pastor Darren, that he would have a great time in uh, Hawaii, in Maui, and he's been sending pictures on Facebook, and he's having a great time, probably too good a time, and so it's time for him to come home, and last I saw, they were getting ready to fly out on the plane yesterday, so they should be home. God answers prayer. Uh, we prayed for Carmen Campbell-Hewitt. She was going in for surgery. I just got a text last night from Neil. He said the surgery went very well. There was no cancer, and she just has recovery now. So again, God answers prayer. Prayer, prayer. I remember my children. They were uh, afraid at night. All kids are afraid at night. It just, it's just part of being a kid. They didn't want to stay in their own bed and they woke up in the middle of the night. They'd wake up and uh, it's like it's scary and they didn't want to stay there. So here was a chance, I thought, for walk them through this whole prayer thing. So you know what? When you wake up, let's uh, just remember, pray, pray. So God is not a God of fear, but of power and a sound mind. So I talk to my kids, you know, pray when you wake up. You don't have to come into mom's bed. Uh, God is with you. So, you know, I, I think they're starting to get it. Then, middle of the night, they run into our room. Dad, it doesn't work. <laughs> I tried this prayer thing. I asked God to take away the fear. He doesn't take it away. I don't know if he even cares. Is he really there? Can he really hear me? Is he listening? Dad, I don't think it really works. Well, the reality is that I bet your heart is in exactly the same place. Does prayer really work? Maybe you've been there before, praying for your marriage, praying for a spouse, uh, take away this addiction, take away my anger. You've asked him to set you free. You've asked him to heal a relationship. You've asked him to heal a sick friend. Where is God? Why isn't he listening to me? What happens when you pray? Well, we're going to look into the life of Elijah. We discover that this guy understood prayer. He came before God with boldness, with confidence. And we got a number of his prayer situations recorded in 1 Kings. We're going to look at one of them today, which is in the later half of 1 Kings verse, chapter 18. Now, at the same time, we're going to look into the New Testament at James 4 and 5, as this New Testament writer James mentions Elijah, and he gives us some cool instructions on the subject of prayer. James 5.17 says, Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. You know, that's, that's comforting. He's not the super cool hero Bible type man. He's just a regular guy, just like you, just like me. It says he prayed earnestly. He prayed with confidence. He prayed with boldness. God's going to move. God's going to work. Now the situation we've talked about the last couple of weeks is that there was no rain. There's no rain. King Ahab, his wife Jezebel, they're leading the nation of Israel away from God. They're destroying it. And God says to Elijah, I need you to go to King Ahab. I need you to confront Queen Jezebel. Tell them that they need to turn this thing around. They need to get their lives right with me. They didn't. Their trust was in Baal and Asherah, the gods of the land uh, in the north there. 
the gods of sun and rain and fertility. Prosperity was their purpose in life, and they, they looked to those gods. And Elijah says, God's going to take away the rain that you think Baal gives. God is going to prove that he is greater than your gods. And so Elijah prays, God, take away the rain. God did. Three and a half years with no rain. It's gone. And Elijah wakes up one day and he senses that God is saying, it's time. It's time for the rain to start again. So last week's story was at the showdown on Mount Carmel. Elijah is against the 450 prophets of Baal. Which God will you serve is really the whole theme of that, uh, that time. It's late afternoon. Remember the fireworks have all happened. The big showdown happened. And Elijah realizes that God is going to give rain again. And so he says in 1 Kings 18, verses 41 and 42, Elijah says to Ahab, so all this stuff's happened. Elijah turns to the king and he says, Go eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink. Did he hear something from God? Like, how did Elijah know what was going on? Did he sense a change in the atmospheric pressure that preceded a storm? You know, knowing God's will. Elijah sensed God's will. Rain is coming. Knowing God's will. Praying according to His will. 1 John 5 says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of Him. You know, I'm sure Elijah could have prayed at any time for God to send rain. But he knew that there was a reason for no rain. This was a lesson for a rebellious people. Yahweh is the true God. Baal is nothing. Asherah is an empty hope. He prayed for no rain because they had fallen away from God. Now the people were turning back to God. Remember last week, the people were starting to say, Yahweh, He is God. Yahweh, He is God. Because they saw God work. They realized Yahweh was God. So the people are beginning to turn back. There is a huge heaven the demonstration. People are turning back. And God says, time for rain. The sound of heavy rain. Even though it's clear blue skies. How do we pray according to God's will? How do we sense that it's God's time? That God's saying it's time? Well, James 1 verse 5 says, If any of you lack wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. If you lack, lack wisdom, if you're looking for the will of God, pray for it. God gives generously. Well, verse 42 tells us that Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. And he says, go and look toward the sea, he told his servant. It's interesting that Elijah knew that God was going to send rain. But I find it interesting, he still had to pray for it. Like, I know rain's coming, but i got to pray for it. We see God's will, but we still need to pray. Perhaps nothing is going to happen until we pray. 
It's part of spiritual warfare. We are involved. Now, there's reasons for us to pray. You know, God's will. God was going to send rain, and yet he says, Elijah, you need to pray for it. Would it have come if Elijah hadn't prayed? I don't think so. Elijah needed to be seen as being part of the process. Let's take you up back to the top of Mount Carmel. This is looking eastward again toward the Valley of Jezreel, where another word for it is Armageddon. On the other side of the valley is Nazareth. If you were to turn and look west on the other way, this is what you would see. That's the modern city of Haifa and the Mediterranean Sea. So you're looking out to the Mediterranean Sea. That's where a storm is going to come from. That's where rain comes from. That's where the water is. We've already had the lightning that preceded the storm. It blew up the altar, the sacrifice. With it will come rain. But so far, it's still blue sky days. Verse 34, the servant went up and looked and he says, there's nothing there. Seven times Elijah said, go back. The seventh time the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. Now, it's not an instantaneous answer to prayer. It looks like a struggle to me. The reality is so many of us do struggle with our prayer lives. Consistency is tough. Authenticity can be hard at times. Praying again and again and again, and it just doesn't seem like it. God is answering. Seven times he prayed, knowing that God was going to send rain. He still was praying, praying. Do we give up? Do we keep praying? What, what are we supposed to do? Do we change the prayer? Is God not there? Is God not answering? Do we sometimes pray incorrectly? We want to learn from Elijah. Find some truths that you can implement into your life to transform your prayer life. Four qualities of effective prayer. Elijah climbs to the top of Mount Carmel. He's got on his mountain hiking gear. He's got his GPS to make sure he doesn't get lost. He goes to the top of the mountain to be alone with God. He sees the shore of the Mediterranean Sea. Storms are going to come off the ocean bringing rain. It was time for rain. King Ahab knew that Elijah was the one who prayed for rain to stop. This is important. Elijah the one is the one who prayed for it to stop. He actually put a bounty on his life. Like, get that man, kill him, whatever, maybe that'll stop the curse. But if rain came, it needed to be seen as coming from the true God. Not from the false god Baal. So Elijah must be seen as praying for rain to start again. Then the people would know Elijah stopped it, Elijah started it. Man, Elijah's God must be the true God. Sometimes we need to pray so that people will know who is answering the prayer. It's not just coincidence. It's not just good fortune. Those people at that church prayed and my son was healed. Those people at the church prayed and this happened or that happened. We need to be seen as praying. It's not coincidence. It's not good fortune. People prayed. God answered. The king and the people see Elijah going off to pray. Now they're waiting to see God work. So the first of our quality of effective prayers is humble prayer. Humble prayers. Elijah bent down to the ground, put his face between his knees. For some of us, as we get older, that's going to be hard to do. Can barely get down. We get down, we ain't getting up again. 
But uh, we, it's, the, it's the posture of humility. It's being humble. It's humbling ourselves before God. Like the servant before the mighty king. We sit before a holy God and he, Elijah, physically humbled himself. It's a picture of what's going on spiritually inside of him. He was spiritually humbled at that moment. He realized that he couldn't bring rain. He realized that he was small. He was nobody. He was incapable. And he knew he needed rain to prove that God was sovereign. Rain needs to come. But he knew that he couldn't do it. But God could. The Lord had sent down fire from the sky. It burnt up sacrifice, stone, wood, water. I think Elijah's thinking, God, I'm small. I'm tiny. I'm inadequate. I can't do this. But God, you are big. You are holy. You are sustainer. You are the creator. You are the healer. You are the provider. So he humbled himself before God because he knew that he could not bring rain himself. If we look at our New Testament passage in James chapter 4, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves before God, before the Lord, before Yahweh. And He will lift you up. Our God who is the Creator, He is the one that lifts us up. We have to understand that humbling and humility precedes the miraculous in our lives. You want to get God's attention? You want Him to move? You want Him to listen to the prayer you're bringing to Him? Then humble yourselves before Him. I can't do this, God. You are directing me in this direction. This is part of your mission to the world, but I can't do it. You're the great king. You're going to have to do it. Number one, effective prayers are humble prayers. Number two, effective prayers are specific prayers. You know, I, I remember helping one of my grandsons uh, a number of years ago when he was little, saying his nighttime prayers. Uh, and it went, thank you for everyone in the world. Thank you for everything in the world. Amen. <laughs> and I thought, you know, I realize that he is pleased with his small world. Uh, but he doesn't want to go into details because he's just too tired. <laughs> so many times in my prayer life, I'm just as wishy-washy in my prayers. Uh, Non-specific praying. God be with us. God give me strength. Help me. Guide me. Now, it's not wrong. In many ways, we are to be open-ended in our prayers. Open to God's leading. Seeking to fulfill God's mission. Not my own. So we pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's pretty open-ended, saying, God, you do it. But it also can be a symptom of a lazy attitude. You know, it takes time to be specific. Elijah was specific. God, we need rain. Not tomorrow, not the next day. We need it today. People need to see you working today. It's three and a half years. Give us water today. Elijah turned to his servant, so now I prayed. Okay, you go look toward the sea. Do you see anything? Is anything happening? Nothing there. But he was specific in what he wanted God to do. James 4 verse 2 says, you do not have because you do not ask. You're not specific. You're not asking for it. You didn't get it. You didn't ask for it. Be specific in what you pray for. How simplistic is that? Sometimes we drive right past this verse, don't we? We're afraid because it may not work. Get specific so that you can see God work. When you are general, you know, bless everyone, and God works, you're not really sure if that was an answer to prayer. But if you are specific, 
You see God work when he answers that specific request. We have to become a group of people that will humble ourselves before God, then come to him without shame, with boldness and courage, praying a specific prayer that God would move and work on our behalf and for his glory. Number three in effective prayers, God is, Elijah's humbled himself, he's prayed a specific prayer, now we see him being persistent. Went up and looked, nothing there, seven times Elijah said, go back. I want you to go look. Hey man, there's no rain. Okay, hang on a second. God, we need rain. Will you bring it back? Check again. Nothing. Okay, pray again. See, he does it seven times. Sounds a bit boring. Now, seven is a significant number in Scripture, a number of perfection. It's interesting that we don't hear Elijah say, ah, this prayer thing, it just doesn't work. He doesn't say, God's sleeping. He doesn't say, God doesn't care. Now, I find it interesting here, his detractors could have turned his own words on him. Remember what happened last week? They were praying and jumping around their altar with Baal and Elijah. Elijah is really sarcastic and he says, hey, maybe your God is sleeping. Shout a little louder. Now, his detractors could have said exactly the same thing to Elijah. Hey, Elijah, what? Yeah, you're praying? It's not happening. What's going on? Elijah had the experience of an instantaneous answer to prayer. I think this tells us something. God doesn't work the same all the time. Sometimes prayer is instantaneous. Sometimes it requires persistence. Waiting for God's timing. Now, Elijah didn't quit. Why didn't he quit? Because he had a track record with God. At the showdown, God sent fire at the first breath of prayer. God knew, or Elijah knew, God heard and answered prayer. Now he's laser focused on his specific prayer. But he doesn't allow the outward circumstances of what's going on to affect his inward assurance. When it seems like God's not moving, maybe it's a timing issue. He doesn't get frustrated, doesn't throw in the towel, doesn't say I'm done, he doesn't say this doesn't work. He prays, he's persistent because he knows God is real. He knows that this is God's plan, so he just keeps praying. James 5.16 emphasizes this Elijah principle. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. When we feel like God is not moving, when we're afraid that he's not working, we need to write that verse in our hearts. The prayer of a righteous man, a righteous woman, is powerful and effective. When we're persistent in our prayer, we will see God move. So here's my question for you. What have you quit praying for? Maybe you need to start praying again for your marriage. You haven't seen much change. We'll keep praying. For your job, you've grown tired and weary. For your finances, your broken relationships. Someone in your family that doesn't have a relationship with Christ. Sometimes we kind of give up. The effective Fervent prayer of a righteous man is powerful. Effective prayers are humble, specific, persistent, and number four, they are expectant. Expectant prayers. The seventh time the servant reported, well, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. 
So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot, go down before the rain stops you. Sixth time, the servant comes back, no rain. Seventh time, there's this tiny little cloud. Look at Elijah's response to that. There's a tiny little cloud. Ahab, get out of here, it's going to pour. Your fancy chariot's going to get stuck in the mud, man. Now, the servant didn't say there's a massive monsoon thunderstorm brewing. He said there's a tiny little cloud. What does Elijah do? He says, oh, man, it's coming. Call up the emergency response team. Call the ambulance. Get the fire engines. Engage the monsoon team. Put lifeboats in the boat. Ahab, you better get down the mountain. Now, if it had been me, I would have said, really? Well, let's wait a bit. Elijah was expectant. Put all the stuff into play on belief that God was going to move and do the miraculous. Jesus says these words, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you will receive it, and it will be yours. Put action in place. Believe that God's going to move. Believe God is going to work. Read the signs. Believe the signs. Get on board where God is working. Elijah didn't move until he saw the signs. Sometimes we start moving before we see the signs. But when the signs come, be ready to move. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose. A heavy rain came on and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came upon Elijah. So Elijah calls out all the troops. He evacuated the mountain. The sky grew black with clouds. A wind rose. A heavy rain came on. Now in that area it would be a flash flood danger so that it could have a heavy rain and all the wadis the empty riverbeds would be instantly filled with water and actually becomes very dangerous the dry land is baked so hard that all the water stays on top and it creates rivers every gully would be a dangerous water river now i think here is a bit of a god of humor you ever seen god do humorous things this is really humorous the power of the Lord came upon Elijah. Remember, Elijah's getting up there a little bit. He's, uh, he's getting old. And it says he tucked his cloak into his belt, bearing his legs. Basically, he got into his jogging gear. And Elijah ran ahead of Ahab. Now, Ahab's driving his chariot as fast as it could go all the way to Jezreel. We're talking 17 miles. He's running ahead of a horse-driven chariot for 17 miles. Now, that's not impossible for a hardened runner of the day, but it is miraculous for this old man. So what's your prayer need? It's just been a long time since you've connected with God through prayer in a real intimate kind of way. Maybe you've stopped praying for someone you should be praying for. Maybe you haven't humbled yourself. Maybe you're thinking, I need God to re-energize and transform my life. God, transform us. Give us strength to pray. Draw us into you. Make us more intimate. Jesus, we need you. For some of you, prayer might be the second or third thing that you need to be thinking about. Right now, maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you don't have a relationship with God. Maybe you think you do. Maybe you think you've been following him, but the truth is you haven't asked him to be Lord of your life. I just want you to know that Jesus loves you. We talked about that in communion. He cares about you. He cares about your hurt. He cares about your pain. Your pain. When Jesus came to this earth, he came here for you. 
He came to take your sin. He came to take your lust, your addiction, your failing in marriage, your struggle, your pain, your broken relationships, your spiritual oppression. He came to take that upon himself. He went to the cross where he died for your sin and my sin as our replacement. Three days later, he rose again and he stands before you today with arms open wide saying, come to me. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to set you free. He wants to give you meaning. He wants to give you purpose. Ask him to be your savior and the Lord of your life. That is the first prayer that anyone needs to pray. And then our lives are open to prayer, to talk, talk and have communion with God all the time. Praying humbly, specifically, persistently, and expectantly. Fernando, come and pray for us now.